0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ferry. Welcome to another rebroadcast from the RTB archives. Brandeis University. Welcome to Recall This Book, another installment of our Books in Dark Times series. So I'm John Plotz, and my guest today is David Plotz. David, I didn't even write an introduction for you, because how do you begin to introduce the uh, inimitable David Plotz? Uh, I am, let's see, I'm taller than you. Yes. I am... Correct so far. I host a podcast for Slate called the Slate Political Gap Fest that I hope your listeners will give a chance to um and you've written two fantastic books plus perhaps also some bad books <laughs> I've, read, I've, read, I've not written two fantastic books <laughs> yes you have i've written two books <laughs> you you blogged one the was bible good before one anyone who good. blogged the bible you blogged the bible that is true and you wrote an amazing book about sperm banks which is frequently cited by my many friends who use sperm banks so that is good for them and i was until earlier this month the CEO of a company called Atlas Obscura. Yes, it's all about the world's hidden wonders. We love Atlas Obscura. There's nobody. Mark, nobody, nobody wants to visit a world's hidden wonder right today, but it's you true. will. Well, yeah. actually, all the world's wonders are hidden at this exact moment. So, all the better reason to go to Atlas Obscura and check out um, wonders that you will never get to visit. Um, all right. So David, you know, it, it's crazy that I would be sitting here talking with you about your reading because, you know, since we were children, we have known what one another was reading since we shared a bedroom for so long. So I know all about you and the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And I think you, you were the first person um, in our, you were the first child in our house to read Charles Dickens, which I could not bring myself to do. And here I am a Victorian literature person. Don't, am I not right about that? I think you loved Tale of Two Cities when I was a kid. I think I remember that. I don't think that's right. I think our father, Pa, as I like to call him, Yeah. and I read David Copperfield to each other. David Copperfield. Very okay. much younger than I remember. I yeah. think I, we, I was 10, and uh-huh. I loved it, and it stuck yeah. with me. And, but I don't know why you weren't there. Why you wouldn't be them. You just reading? Um, well, if dinner. I was thirteen, you know the answer to that. I was just off being a jerk somewhere. You know, I was probably up in my room playing D anD D with myself. Um, that is possible. Yeah. Uh, I remember a lot of reading alouds. I remember The Hobbit vividly. Um, we did Pride I, and Prejudice aloud. Yes. I don't know if you were there for that. Wasn't there a Huck Finn also? Because I did that with my kids, and when I did, I feel like it triggered a memory. I do not remember that. Tom Sawyer. I think it was Tom Sawyer, actually. Have I asked you my Huck Finn question? Uh, You did ask me your Huck Finn question, but go ahead. Ask our listeners your Huck Finn question. Here's my question, Huck Finn. Uh, Recall this book listeners who who may know the answer because you're so well-read and follow what's happening. It is my suspicion that Huck Finn has quietly vanished from school curricula and that no one has noticed it or no one has reported on it, but that it is, it is. And also school auditoria and school stadia. Yes. It. Yeah. Okay. Condominia. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Occupy. Occupy. Don't say <laughs> occupy. That's not okay. So yes, it's vanished. It's quietly vanished. It's quietly vanished. Not in the way that in the 80s when people would protest it, because of course it has this language that is, that is uh, so difficult for people. But rather that schools have just decided, well, you know what, rather than deal with it yeah. or cause controversy or, or make people upset, we're just going to make this book vanish. Yeah. And that's it's just my guess because none of my kids have read it in yeah. their schools, and I just have a theory that maybe this is a widespread thing and no one has noticed it because it's, it's hard to notice when something disappears. Yeah, uh, well, I really hope you're wrong, but it is true. You know, Elizabeth, my co-host, and I taught it for uh, anthropology and fiction class we taught together a few years ago, and um, definitely not everybody had read it. I think the majority of our students had read it, but then they were upperclassmen. So, man, I hope you're wrong, but you might be right. So that's a good one to think about in terms of comfort books. Um, is that the kind of book you're reading now, DP, when, you, when you're trying to um, de-pandemicize yourself? Like, would you consider reading Huck Finn? Uh, you know, it hadn't occurred to me. Dickens has occurred to me. Dickens yeah. seems to occupy that space of being f- fully absorbing a whole other world, of being totally. very entertaining. Right. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very tempted by Dickens. Although I haven't read any Dickens, yeah, and uh, my friend Steve McCauley, who we just recorded yesterday, he uh little Dorrit was what he picked up immediately, so yeah i uh, I hadn't thought about Huck Finn I haven't read Huck Finn in thirty five years, so yeah, maybe I should yes. but but okay, well, but can you continue your point about the fully realized worlds so yes, that, yeah, uh well, I don't know that that's everything that I'm looking for that is something that is that is. Very tempting. Um, mm-hmm. I the books that that so far have really called to me one is and I don't know why. Oh, let me let me posit why is yeah. the Guns of August. I'm reading the yes. Barbara Tuckman. Barbara Tuckman. History of the beginning of World War One. Right. And I started it right as this all started to happen. And it, I think I, I got it because I had just seen 1917 and I had listened to this wonderful Dan Carlin podcast about, mm-hmm. about World War One, So I was in a World War One Jones. Yeah. But what is appealing about this book is that it is uh, it's about a set of people who are making some really terrible decisions And the decisions that they don't quite recognize are going to destroy the world that they live in. Okay. All right. (laughs) Stop right now. But but it's it's not, it's not the ones that we're facing, but it is from history. You can look back and see like, Oh man, these people didn't realize it. They, they locked into theories about how the world would work, about how war would work, about how people would behave that were, that were just theories. And then when, when the war came and when reality hit them they were not able to adjust that that theory to the reality and something rhymes in that today right yeah uh it's not but it's not that it doesn't it's i'm i'm assiduously avoiding pandemic-y kinds of books so i know so station 11 which is one of my favorite books that i've read in the past 10 years i would not go and reread yeah. The road I I couldn't yeah. go and look There's at no way. Again. Before I get to the more pleasurable books that I'm reading or thinking about reading, I just want to mention one other book that is that really speaks to the moment, which some of you may not have the stomach to read, but I actually found very inspiring. And it's a book called This Is Chance: The Shaking of an All-American City by John Muallam. M-O-O-A-L-L-E-M. Mm. And it is a book about the great Alaska earthquake of 1964, which was the second most powerful earthquake ever recorded, most powerful earthquake ever recorded in the US. Uh-huh. And it destroyed the city of Anchorage, which was then the very new city. Yeah, Alaska had just become a state Yeah, and the city was basically taken down to the studs by the earthquake. And yet a very small number of people died. And it's the story of what happened during the earthquake, how the people in the city responded, how they self-organized a recovery uh, and and why they were why they were so able to come together as a community and work together and so uh, take care of each other so well in the period after the disaster and it's super inspiring and it has this it has this this point that in disasters like this, everything, life becomes molten, everything melts, all this sort of solid melts, mm-hmm. and then it reforms in some other way, mm-hmm. which is not what you expected, it's not what you knew, it's not what you were planning for, but it reforms. And that if we are there to support each other, and if people feel a sense of togetherness, that this kind of disaster uh, is, is something you can recover from. I think he he points out that a couple of things. one is that during the recovery from the earthquake, those people mm-hmm. who didn't who didn't lose who didn't immediately have people who died who uh, loved ones who died mm-hmm. re- report high levels of happiness and satisfaction mm-hmm. they, they actually were extremely happy. Mm-hmm. They felt a sense of purpose and belonging and togetherness mm-hmm. uh, that that really mattered and stayed with them for the rest of their life. It didn't last. It doesn't last for a long time, but it lasted right. for a, a short time. And on the other hand, that pandemics, unlike earthquakes, uh, are distancing, that pandemics separate people because the way you treat them is to get away from other people. It's to get away from them, right. And but, but David, also, would follow up on the liquidity point. Was the liquidity just... In the moment, everything could potentially seem new briefly and then it returned to its old ways, or things actually changed in the city? No, things actually change. That things crumble, they melt, or they crumble. He, he, yeah. The metaphor varies from time to time. And then you rebuild, and you rebuild either the metal reforms in some other way when it cools down or you rebuild in some something different. It doesn't, it is not the same thing. It is new. You are fully new. You are new. You're a new community. You are new people. The way you, what you're doing is different. Everyone he writes about in this book, their life is fundamentally changed by this earthquake. Right. Not necessarily they had different careers or anything like that, but that, that it is this moment which breaks some set of habits, some set of, way you live and presents a new opportunity and for many of people that new opportunity is worse and for many it's much better and it's it's just different and you just have to accept that and as a person who is who who's only learning to live with uncertainty now in my life it was really interesting as somebody who's who's going through divorce it was i found it very uh, it spoke to me a lot because it is this when your fundamental premises have been altered, you have to have to live anew in the world and that's what this pandemic is going to do on a grand scale to us too and right. so i found this this book has just made me think a lot about it and in and in, in not in a despairing way in a way that was made me think okay there are possibilities there are ways that it's, that it's going to make us bring us together make us richer together. So let's right. try to find those ways. I love the I just love the structure of letting people's lives emerge so that you can glimpse them, you know, 5 years down the road, 10 years right. down the road. Right. right. You you and I both love that Isabel Wilkerson book, right? Uh Warmth of Other Suns. Are you found I that? did not read that. Oh my god, I love that so much. I know you I know that common ground is like one of your bibles, but to me like Warmth of Other Suns is like what if you take common ground, but you put it on the move. So, you know, that it's uh-huh. about three, it's about three cities, not one city. And uh-huh. it's not about, even about three cities, but three migration paths rather than one, one world. But yeah. Huh. Anyway, maybe I'll read that. I, I have. Oh that. my God. I I love it. It is a, such a, somewhere. it's such an uplifting book um, in terms of thinking, I mean, not because it makes you think, Oh, racism in America is uh, easily overcomable by the migration, but it does make you see that, the structural racism of the United States is, you know, absolutely there, has deep historical roots and then has been continued in lots of ways. But also there have been moments of, of melting, you know, moments where people could actually move themselves and control their own destinies, make economic and vocational and educational and kind of existential choices that change their lives um, for the better. So, yeah. Huh. All right. I th- I'm sure it's on my shelf here. I'm looking around for it on my shelf. Yeah. It just look for a book that would hurt you if it fell on your foot because it's an investment uh, it's like 950 pages but oh maybe that's why i didn't read it yeah that that could well be and you really need that because it's symphonic. oh there it is i now found it i started oh. looking for thick books it's right it is right ahead of me <laughs> straight ahead okay it's pretty thick oh my god oh my god i would love that is a book that is a comfort book actually i think i would re i think i would reread that right now if i had it sitting on my bookshelf um Okay, so go ahead. You were going to go to, towards, uh, you, you were heading towards more entertaining pastures, I think. Where well, it was what I'm going to read for, for pleasure, yeah. what I'm going to read for joy, yeah. Uh, one, I'm sure I'm going to read some Austen. I'm sure I'm going to read yeah, Emma or Sense and Sensibility. Okay, yep. And you're going to watch Sanditon. I will watch Santa. We we're we not talking about TV. I, okay, I can yeah. do so no, many TV examples. Everyone else is talking about TV. Okay, fair so enough. We'll Called this You're right. book. You're right. We'll uh, call not this stream TV. this show. Fine. Okay. I, I'm ashamed to say this, but I might reread Harry Potter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it is so comforting. It's a fully, again, it's a yeah. full world. I know it's going to come out great in the end. Yeah makes me happy it's very familiar it is quick it is not going to tax my brain and it just is pleasure and i don't i i i've I've, I've spent enough time marinating the other books i would read in that vein which are much better of course the pullman books yeah his dark materials and i've just spent enough time with them recently that i don't want to read them again right so i wouldn't do that and the the narnia books aren't i don't like very much oh really hmm hmm Oh, yeah. And you don't find Lord of the Rings comforting the way I do. I don't find Lord of the Rings comforting. I find Lord of the Rings thick and boring yeah. and I would make me fall asleep. But uh, here's the funny thing, David. So like the th- one theme that has already emerged in these conversations is the difference. It, everyone seems to agree that you need something like naughty and dense and complicated that will draw you in and you know keep your mind at work like a really good sudoku you know that equivalent but people seem to disagree on whether the point of it should be this worldly like that is that it returns you to our own you know the 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 world that we all share with a renewed sense of comprehension or purpose or something or whether it's good because it kicks you out into another space but it seems like actually you're trying to have it both ways right because you like guns of august because it makes you, you know, dwell in this world in a different way, but mm-hmm. you're but you're also pushing Harry Potter because it it whatever. Yes. It's an out yes. it's an off ramp. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm also looking at a book which now that I'm looking at it, I may reread because I found it it is one of my favorite books and it's so absorbing, which is The Killer Angels by Michael Shara. Oh my god, that's such a great book. Yeah. Yeah. So why is that? So tell me why you would reread that now. So so tell people. It's about the Battle of Gettysburg day by day. It's about the Battle of Gettysburg told from the perspective of some of the key players. So uh, uh, from Robert E. Lee, his his second in command, um, uh, Longstreet, James Longstreet, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a union major colonel named Joshua Chamberlain. Didn't and he become they president of Bowdoin Buford. College or something? He became president of Bowdoin College, yes, yeah. he did. And it is, it's just a very intimate moment-by-moment moment account of this yep. battle, which is this yep. critical battle in American history, yep. and they, it's these small decisions that people made that, that shaped the course of the battle. And it's, it's, uh, it takes this thing that we know on a grand scale and makes it extremely right. human, extremely yeah. particular. Yeah. So um, we used it when we went to, when we did our uh, history driving tour with our kids when they were very little, we used it. uh, I mean, I don't think I had the book with me, but we used it at little round top to reenact the bayonet charge down little round top. Yes. And I remember our kids just screaming down the hill with fixed bayonets, you know, with no. you know, they'd run out of bullets, but they decided to charge the Confederates instead. And that's the moment that turns the tide. Did they, did they win? Did it? Uh, yeah, Lenny and Daria, yeah, they won. Yeah, they did. All the, all Maybe you'll them. become president of Bowdoin one day. Maybe yeah. that's your destiny. <laughs> I don't know. I think <laughs> I would, I would uh, yeah, you've set us something to aspire to. Um, okay, well, DP, as usual, I've learned a um, thousand and one things from talking to you. So thank you. This is amazing. Um I will, let me just read the credits really quickly. I will say, recall this book is hosted by John Plotz and usually Elizabeth Ferry with music by Eric Cheslow and Barbara Cassidy, Uh, sound editing by Claire Ogden, website design and social media by Kaliska Ross. As you know, we always want to hear from you, and especially now, because we want to hear about your books in dark times. So please um, tweet at us, or email us, or contact us in any number of ways. And also, please do. If you enjoyed this episode, forward it to others and uh, write a review on, or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our other Books in Dark Times conversations with Alex Starr, Carla Rotella, me and Elizabeth Ferry, and I think others to come. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, David. It was a, it was a joy as always. Uh, thank you, Dr. Plotz, Professor Plotz. <laughs> you mean future president of Bowdoin Plotz? Is that what you mean? Yes. Um, All right, Uh, to all of you, farewell.